There was a burglar who had been casing a house um, to see when he might break in. Finally, he saw the folks leave for what appeared to be an extended leave. And that night, he broke into the house. And uh, he, he broke into a, a, a window in the basement. And as soon as he was got into the dark, he heard this old woman say to him, Shame on you. I see you, and Jesus sees you. And he said, Shut up, Grandma. <laughs> I'm going to hurt you. And shined his flashlight around and never could find Grandma. So kept on shining around and finally found this cage in the corner. And in that cage was a parrot. And he was, he was relieved because he realized there was no old woman. It was just a parrot saying, I see you and Jesus sees you. And so he starts up the stairs and he shines his flashlight and he sees the, an enormous Doberman pincher. And the parrot says, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> I see you and Jesus sees you. And then, I couldn't resist this one. There was a blind man that went in uh, to a store with his C&I dog. And when he got into the store, he picked up the dog and started waving him around all over the place like this. And the, guy, the clerk said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm just looking around. <laughs> Enough of that. Seeing. We, we've been talking about seeing since the first of the year, seeing past the grasshopper mentality, seeing the Lord, seeing the real Jesus. And today we're going to go one step further, seeing the people. And so after talking about seeing the Lord and having an appropriate response to seeing the Lord, and you'd have to go back and hear that message, it's on the podcast, um, and after... Seeing, not only, well, we can't see Jesus with our physical eyes, but with our spiritual eyes. Seeing the real Jesus we talked about last Sunday, who he really is. We pray that our eyes are opened to the people around us. And that we could see them as Jesus did. Uh, my concern is that we have reduced Christianity to facilities and statistics. How big of a building do you have? How, you know, pastors used to get together and say, how many are you running on Sunday? Of course, I'd always mess them up. I said, I run them all off. I mean, you know. <laughs> we, there's nothing wrong with having buildings and nothing wrong with how many people you're responsible for, but we've reduced the measure of Christianity to facilities and statistics. And we've traded the organic for the organization. God's bottom line is always, everybody say it together, people, people. We love church buildings and structures, and we have to have an organization, and we have to have all of those things. But if all of that, I say to our elders all the time and to our staff, everything we do, from Sue Douglas meeting people at the front door to the children's church to the youth ministry, and the list goes on, home, small groups, everything. Everything we do funnels to one bottom line, and that's changed lives, people. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about seeing the people. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 9, 
I'm going to throw you just a little bit of a curve today. I'm going to be reading today from the New American Standard Bible. It, there's a wording there that I really like. Uh, and by the way, it's my, it's my humble opinion, uh, because I heard Derek Prince say it one time, <laughs> that the New American Standard is the most accurate version you can have. It's not always the most readable, but it is because it's a word-for-word -word translation. Uh, if you would stand with me while I read verses 35 through 38, and this Bible is not a large print, so I'm going to have to pick it up. And uh, verse 35 begins, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, let's say that together. Seeing the people, now your margin there, even in the New American Standard, will say crowds, and most of your versions will either say crowds or multitudes there. We'll come back to that. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You could be seated. One of the key phrases in that passage is that Jesus was going, or in some of your versions it will say Jesus went. Jesus was going. Uh, you've heard me say that uh, a, a, an ocean liner sitting at port, you can't do much about the direction. You can turn that wheel all you want to, and you just not get, but if it's moving, there's some adjustments can be made. And Jesus was going. Jesus went. Jesus was moving around, and he was among the people. He was in the midst of the people. Matter of fact, he caught grief a few times because he was in the midst of some folks that were unsavory characters. And uh, he lost no sleep over that, by the way. He stayed in the middle of them. Seeing the people. I, I like this version because I know that the, the word there is a word that means seeing the crowds and seeing the people and seeing the multitude. But I like that when the translators of the New American Standard got to this spot, they chose to translate that word seeing the people. And the first time, I remember the first time I was reading through and I read that and went, my goodness, something clicked. Seeing the people. Jesus saw them. He said, well, yeah, he saw them. He had eyes. No, I mean, he really saw them. Now, this is, this is a, I don't know if gift's the right word, but we all should be asking God to let us see. I must confess this is not a strong point with me. I don't, I don't see people like I should see them. So in other words, I appreciate you coming this morning and listening to me preach to myself. And uh, I'll, I'll accept your critique when we're done of what I should do. He said, seeing the people, and the word seeing there is a word that's an intentional and it's an earnest contemplation that leads to a perception. It's earnest. It's not just, oh yeah, I saw them. It's, there's something deeper than that. There's a contemplation going on here. We often use a word, uh, or we see a word in the New Testament for, uh, for, uh, relationship, genosco or ganosco or foreseeing. And it usually refers to a knowledge that we get from experience, by experience with someone. 
In this case, there's another word here, and it's a word that is a perception that comes from seeing. It's a perception that comes from actually seeing or being aware of. It's an understanding. It's an intuitive knowledge, which in the case of believers, everybody say, that's me, can only be given by the Holy Spirit. So we're looking for the Holy Spirit to allow us to see something that cannot be seen with the natural eye, but can be seen with the spiritual eyes and discerned and contemplated. When Jesus looked across the multitudes, he didn't just see human bodies. He saw people. He didn't just see uh masses of flesh with bones and blood and all the stuff that make up a human body, he saw deep within the recesses of people. Think about the context in which he saw. Now, this is important. We need to see this. We're not going to go back and read, but I think if you go up to verse 18, you'll find that he that he uh, raised a young girl from the dead. And while he was on his way to raise this young girl from the dead... A lady who had an issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Remember he said, who, who touched me? She was healed. Then he, then he healed two blind men who had been following him. And then he ran across a demon-possessed man who was mute, and he cast the, the demons out of the man, and he was delivered, and he was free. And Matthew writes that he was healing every disease in every affliction. Oh, here's the context. Don't miss it. In the in that context, healing the girl, or raising the girl, healing the woman, healing the blind man, casting out the devils out of the man, healing every disease and every affliction. In that context, the Bible says Jesus saw them. He saw the people and he had compassion. Now, hear what I'm about to say. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm going to read it. So, it's, it's, And I wrote it down, so blame me. Great teaching and preaching and even a healing touch from the Master doesn't necessarily improve one's spiritual condition. I've known people to get healed of a, of a death disease, that they would have died shortly, healed, and turned their back on God. I'm not against healing. Thank God. I'm for it. Everybody say, I'm for it. I'm for healing. But I want to tell you, Jesus, after healing all these people, still saw the people as having a deficiency. He saw something. When he really perceived the people, he was moved in his insides. He was moved in his Spurgeon says that the original word here is what he calls a remarkable word. By that he means that it's not even found in classical Greek or the classic Greek language. It's not found at all. And uh, that he says that he calls them evangelists, the writers of the Gospels, actually coined a word here. Did I have that word, William? I practiced this. It looked like spaghetti. I think it's splagnizomai. And that's real important. You can leave out of here today and say you heard somebody pronounce that. Okay. 
But it's a word they coined because the Greek language didn't have one that suited their purpose, so they invented one. So, by the way, you can do that too. Just invent a word if you don't have one. They invented it because they wanted to communicate something internal. Um, They wanted to communicate something deep down into the recesses of Jesus' being. He was moved deep in his insides. Now, all of us can relate to that somewhat in dealing with people, children. You know, one of the hardest things to do, and I know some of you have gone through that and are now, one of the hardest things to do is to stand by and watch a child that's sick. And you, your insides ache because you can't do anything except pray for them. You, you wish you could trade places with them, but you can't. You just got to watch that. I, you know, when ours were little, that was hard to do. Now they're grown, I don't care. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. <laughs> but the key here is the compassion. He was moved. Y'all know that move means you go from one place to another. You say, man, studies a lot, doesn't he? Uh, in another occasion, it's in Mark, it says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees this crowd of people. And even though some of them have been healed, and he says they're healing all kinds of diseases and all kinds of afflictions, even though all that's taking place, he still sees them as as having a deficiency. The word compassion is a word that means to be joined with someone in their pain or distress or to share their passion. To join with them. You know, it's easy just to say, hey, you know, I hate that for you. See you. It's even, it's even, you can even say, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that you had that, but do you really feel it? And you're not going to feel compassion for every person you come in contact with. Let me just go ahead and relieve you of that burden. But there are people that you will meet and have met, and you will feel something of their distress. And you'll, you'll have be called to join with, with them in that. We know the story, and I'm not going to read Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, that this guy falls in and gets with some robbers. They rob him. The Bible says they beat him. They leave him on the side of the road, and along comes a priest. The Bible says that the priest came along by chance. We know that because he surely would not have come this way on purpose had he known what was waiting for him. He's on his way to the the next convention, the conference, and there's a guy, and he, he sees him by chance. The Bible says he avoided him. Behind him comes to comes a Levite. It says, when he came to the place, when he came to the place of this guy, he avoided him too. He went another way. He didn't want to be bothered with him. And Jesus, in his wisdom, in the story that he's telling, makes the hero a Samaritan. For some of you, that'd be like making him a Democrat. And that's what those people thought. That's what those people thought when they heard the word. They didn't think Democrat. They thought Samaritan. That's the scum of the earth. That's a mixed race. That's the, you know, that's the lowest of low. 
How could Jesus even cause this man to be the hero? But it says the Samaritan came along as he journeyed. Now, don't miss this. As he journeyed, you, as you journey, will encounter people that God will allow you to see with your insides. And you'll be moved on your insides. It says, as he journeyed. And, of course, in that story, the lawyer who asked the question said this, saw this man as nothing more than a name to study. The robbers saw him as a nobody, a worthless human being. The priest and the Levites saw him as a bother to avoid, but the Samaritans saw him as a neighbor to serve. He saw him. See, the, the priest saw him, and he went on his way. The Levite saw him, and he went on his way. But the Samaritan saw him. You hear the difference? The Samaritan saw something the priest and Levite did not see because the priest and the Levite could not be bothered with this guy. They had spiritual things they had to go do. Mm. Scripture teaches that Jesus saw these people. The Christian Standard Bible says they were weary and worn out. They were weary and worn out. Um, the the Amplified Bible says it this way, which is, by the way, another good another good uh, version, but not easy to read. He says they were bewildered, and in parentheses it says this: they were harassed, and they were distressed, and they were dejected, and they were helpless. Do you know anybody in this world today that would fit the, that description? I mean, everybody in the room has got to say yes. You know at least one person that fits the description of being bewildered and being harassed and distressed because life does that. We have people who are searching today for their identity. We have people today who are searching for fulfillment in places they cannot gain fulfillment. Anyway, the list goes on and on. Jesus, when he saw these people, he saw the sick. He saw the disenfranchised. He saw the bereaved. And he saw the hopeless. This world is full. And as Don read the fruit of that today. This world is full of people who are bereaved. People who are hopeless. People who are distressed. And with life. And they do not know what to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you have anything to offer those folks? Uh, let me ask it again. Do you think you have anything to offer those folks? See, the devil, when we did the seeing past the grasshopper mentality, one of the things the devil tries to do is make us think what we have to offer it has no value. They don't want to hear what we got to say. They don't want, they don't want to be bothered with the gospel. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you serve Him, you have something to offer those people. So, well, I don't, I'm not a theologian. I'm not an expert. I don't, I can't even quote a Bible verse. And you heard me say this, but there was a blind man. They came to him and said, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Won't, won't find something critical to say about him. He said, well, I really can't tell you anything about him. Except this. I used to be blind, but now I see. And sometimes that's the best testimony we have. 
I used to be blind, but now I'm not. I can't explain it. I can't even quote you a Bible verse. Now, I'm for memorizing scriptures, but I can't quote you a Bible verse. But I can tell you this. I used to be hopeless, and now I have hope. You have something to offer people that are hopeless. And I said this earlier, but Jesus saw them deeper than their physical exteriors. I don't know if the eyes are really the windows of the soul. That's not a Bible verse. But I know that when you talk to people, if you look at their eyes, you'll, you'll get, you'll see something. Now I've talked to people that I looked into their eyes and I thought I saw a bunch of buddies in there having a party. (laughs) But the truth is, Man, teach the younger generation to look people in the eye. I mean, I, I'm not as good at it as I want to be, but it bugs me when I try to talk to a young person. They're looking at their feet. Well, you know, uh, or they're looking at the ceiling. I did that one time at a basketball practice. Uh, my back was hurting me, and I was looking at the ceiling when the coach was talking to me. He said, look at me. I said, I don't hear with my eyes. You know what happened next. <laughs> and he was trying, and he was right. Look, if you look people in the eyes, you'll allow the Holy Spirit to show you something. Remember back just a few minutes ago said that seeing is an intuitive knowledge, which in the case of the believers can only be given by the Holy Spirit. It can only be given to you by the Spirit of God, but only if you look. You're not going to, you know, sometimes you can see written on people's faces. My wife was remarking yesterday, she can't hide her feelings with her face. Her face tells it all. And a lot of you are that way. And when I, sometimes when I see your faces a certain way, I, I leave. I go the other way. <laughs> not really. Yeah, I'm not. Anyway, you figure it out. But do you, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I saw that the other day. I didn't know what I was seeing. You saw the people. And God has his army, of which you and I are part, dispersed out into society with our equipment, with our artillery. And our artillery, as we said, our, our weapon is a melody. Our weapon is not a sword or a gun. But our weapon is the word of God and our testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And when we engage with people that we see, really see, like the Samaritan saw the man, when we see, then I suspect that we will always be moved with compassion. So what is, what is our response in all of this? What should we do in light of Jesus seeing people? Well, I got this statement to immerse ourselves in the lives of the people who are right outside our doors. Acknowledging that God calls us to have meaningful relationships in authentic, organic, and consistent ways. It's about people. Again, I'm going to repeat myself. You don't have to be engaged with a thousand people or a hundred people. Just whoever God's put in your path. When you're journeying, who is it that God puts in front of you? 
who is it? Or whose name does God put on your on your mind that you go have that you might need to go find? So our response should first and foremost be, send me out. I remind you that the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, some some uh, tenses of the verb there are translated to mean as you are going or, or while you are on your way or while you are journeying, make disciples. Send me out. By the way, the word there in that, in, in uh, verse 38 in this passage, he said, Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Well, he said in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Don't pray that prayer. Don't pray for God to send out workers into the harvest. Because I can tell you from experience, he's going to send you. So actually, you should pray that prayer. But be ready to go. Sometimes over the years, I've gotten people that will call the office here. None of you. But they'll have this great idea. I think the, the church needs to do this and the church needs to do that. And i got this program that would work great. And I, you know, y'all know what I ask them. When can you start? Some people have done that that don't even attend this church. And they want to take their great idea and put it on the church. And I said, well, that's a great idea. Let me know how I can help you. Why? Because people want to have great ideas, but they don't want to do anything. Do something? No. Send me out. The word there in verse 38 is a word that means to send out with force. Not force you to go. But it's a thrust. It's, it's not just a, okay, uh, why, don't, why don't you think about and consider going out there, maybe, maybe talking to, maybe seeing people. No, it's not that. It's to be thrust into something. It's got some volume behind it. Pray the Lord that he would take you and me and throw us into the mix with force. Now, again, not forcing us, but with force. In other words, it's important. If your child was about to step onto the interstate, you would not just meekly and mildly tippy-toed out to, to the street to get that child. You'd be, there'd be some force behind you. You'd tackle them. They'd scrape their knee if you tackled them, but you'd save their life. And then they would say to you, I thought you was going to let me make my own decisions. <laughs> Thus, the definition of love. We have to ask ourselves the question, how many people do we pass each day without really seeing them? How many times are we the priest or the Levite and we pass people, we don't really see them. I, I do it. I know I do it. Thank you all for listening to me preach to myself. I do it. I walk by people and I don't see them. They just boop, boop, boop. And my wife has said, did you see that? I said, nope, I didn't see that. I see road signs. I love to read. So I read everything. I read cereal boxes, everything I can read, but I don't, I don't see people enough. How many times have we 
Do we have someone sitting next to us at work? Maybe the cubicle next to us or the desk in the office next to us and we don't even see them. Well, yeah, we know they're there, but we don't see them. Brother Charles Simpson said one time, when does meditation and contemplation drift into rebellion? Let that sink in. When does meditation and contemplation, when does that become rebellion? At some point it has to become rebellion. Because God doesn't bring you to that place of contemplation. And he doesn't bring you to that place of meditation. Except that he's going to bring you to a place of engaging. And when, at what point do we say, yeah, I, I just want to keep on meditating and contemplating. I just want to keep on thinking about that thing. At some point, it becomes rebellion because we're not obeying God. We need to go from can't to can, from want to will. We need to go from the secret service to actively engaging. In those places God gives us. Again, I'm not putting something on you that you got engaged with everybody you see. It's just not possible. But what the Holy Spirit shows you and me, we need to respond. We need to ask for seeing eyes that see past the exterior and is accompanied by compassion. We need to ask God to give us those occasions as we journey. Jesus is walking down the road. Uh, this is recorded in Luke 19. Jesus walking down the road and he sees a little guy jump up in the, he's up in a tree. The Bible says, it's interesting, the Bible says Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. It's a great line. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So he climbed up the tree because he was, he was uh, vertically challenged. He was the chief tax collector of that region. He was the head of the customs department in Jericho. He was, he was rich. He was largely rich because of his unethical, if not illegal, means of collecting money. Um, he was a social outcast. Nobody liked him. And so he climbed this tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was. Jesus is walking along and he stops at this tree and he looks up into the sycamore tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus. Now, how do you know his name? Well, you rewind back to the gifts of the Spirit a few months ago, the word of knowledge. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree and, and hear this and hear this the right way. Hear, hear this. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, I want to invite you to church. Hear it the right way now. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, I want to invite you to the synagogue. He said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen next, but he didn't care. He said, I want to go to your house. And the Bible says that the Pharisees complained and grumbled and murmured. He's going to the house of that sinner. He's going to the house of that tax collector. As the little girl from overseas said, how dare you? Greta, whatever her name is. Don't get me started on that. They were complaining because he went 
By the way, according to church tradition, Zacchaeus later became a disciple of Peter and the bishop of Caesarea. From the sycamore tree to a bishop. That would make a good country song, wouldn't it? (laughs) Why did he stop? Why did Jesus stop? All the people. Why did he stop? He saw him. I'll come back to that. What lessons do we learn from this story? Well, the first one is that short people really do have a reason to live. (laughs) My mother was five foot two. My daddy used to tell her she was sawed off and hammered down. She still stayed with him for 59 years. And the only reason they weren't married any longer is because he passed away. Short people. Okay, let me go to number two. (laughs) I think Jesus saw the heart of Zacchaeus. I think he saw the heart. He didn't see the tax collector. He didn't see the the guy who had been stealing. He didn't see the the customs agent. He He saw the heart of Zacchaeus up in that tree. He saw something that no one else could see. Because he invites him down, and as they're walking, he says, I'm going to your house. And he says, today salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus begins to repent of his sins. And he's repenting. So Jesus saw something and drew it out of him. Because he saw. John Peter Lang commentary says, What is truly divine consists in this, that our Lord at once fathoms the heart of the man. Which tells us that we should never prejudge who God might cause you to see. Don't prejudge who that person might be that you're on your journey and you see them in their proverbial sycamore tree And God shows you their heart through their eyes. Don't prejudge who that might be. And don't miss this part either because we know they were there. Jesus walked past the religious crowd of the day and focused on him. He walked past the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All those people that were grumbling. The main reason they were grumbling because he walked past them. Walked right past them to this tax collector up in a tree. He's focusing on the outcast. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he stop? Why did he look up and why did he call him down? Why did he invite himself into Zacchaeus' home? And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Because he saw him. Everybody else just saw the tax collector up in the tree. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. And he responded. Now, as we go our way, as we go out into the culture that we live in, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship is in the, is in the roster and the roles and the population of the kingdom of heaven. But he has left us here. My cousin told me about five years ago, he said, he had heart trouble. He said, I'll be here till God's done with me. When God's done with me, I'll go on. So I'm going to live till I die. And when I die, I'm going to die. Well, he did. He's in heaven now. 
One day we're all going to be done with our mission, but until we're done with our mission, we still have one. And part of that mission, probably a lot of that mission is to see. See the people with eyes that only God's Holy Spirit can give us. Amen. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we can't even have these, this kind of vision without your Holy Spirit's help. We recognize that we could be like the priest or the Levite and just sort of avoid a situation. But in those, in those uh, situations and those encounters that you have ordained and in our, in our journey as we are going our way, as we encounter these people, let us see. Let us see the people like you saw. Let us see their spiritual condition, even their physical condition. But let us see the ones that are distressed and harassed, cast down, bewildered, weary and worn out. And let us be confident that we have what they need. And that is the gospel, that is the power unto salvation. Let us be confident that we have the word of our testimony that will meet them where they are, Lord God. We recognize once again that the economy of life is about people. So help us each one, as soldiers in your army, help us to each one be open and aware to those times that you're causing us to see someone deeper than their exterior. And once again, we pray that in that situation that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done just like it's being done in heaven and that you would use your church as vehicles and channels by which that kingdom could come into that life. We thank you for this day of gathering. We thank you for the ministry of your spirit that's being done and has been done in our hearts today. And we thank you that we can go out of this building and go out into this society carrying with us that which you have placed within us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.